Who among you would be interested in coming to an event with me called the Piggy Palace Good Times Society? Bear with me, that was the real name of the event. You could gather together in a slaughterhouse, of all places, take part in various illegal activities, all with the sketchiest of people. We're talking drugs, prostitutes, fights, basically anything you couldn't get away with during the day, you could do it at the Piggy Palace parties. It's estimated that some 2,000 people would come to these events. All of these people gathered together under the name of Nonprofit Charity Organization. But these guests weren't always so lucky. When you bring the lowest of the low in one place, sometimes a few will go missing. And the horrifying part is that nobody tends to notice. According to Bill Hiscox, it was a creepy looking place. Farms generally are welcoming, or at least they aren't usually scary, especially not during the day. So what would make Bill, a normal working man from Canada, feel such fear just from the sight of it? Well, this particular farm had more than a few strange stories about it. First of all, there was the huge angry boar that everybody saw running around the outside. Instead of those beware of dog signs you often see, this farm just had a pig. And that makes sense, because pigs were raised there. Why not use the meanest of the bunch as a guard? Even more odd than the pig was the farmer himself. Robert and his brother David were well known around town. After all, being super successful, super rich pig raisers will give you a sort of fame. But Robert was known for more than just money. He was strange. The same worker from before, Bill, also described Robert Picton in a not-so-flattering way. He was, apparently, a pretty quiet guy, not the best at conversation. Who is, after all? But many people are oddballs. Lots of people live out in the country, alone with their farm. And sometimes they'll have guests over. Guests that, for better or for worse, don't feel quite at home. They'd rather be in the city, safe with their friends and their home. Most of the time, if you're a guest, you can leave. But sometimes, in some cases, the farm won't let you leave. To be more specific, the farmer won't. The festivities began in 1996. That's when the first parties were thrown at this converted slaughterhouse. There are many details about the unwholesome party, which seem to lack any type of moral. Probably their biggest claim to fame is that members of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang were frequent visitors. But that's not the important detail. What you need to remember, really, is the prostitutes. March 23, 1997 Robert Picton is charged with the attempted murder of one prostitute. During a fight at the farm, he stabbed her multiple times. In the end, he was stabbed with his own weapon, and the woman got away. After being released only months later, the charges were then dropped entirely, and Robert went free. Towards the end of that same year, things took an even worse turn for the Picton brothers. 
It was decided that these elaborate parties should not be allowed, and that the family's farm was not the place for extensive celebration, especially not disguising it as a non-profit organization. Nevertheless, the Pictons held a New Year's Eve party, which was promptly shut down by the police. Is it a coincidence that this happened so soon after the attempted murder? I hope not. I hope that the police, the townspeople, and everybody involved were able to see what a deranged and dangerous situation it was, that this was their attempt at stopping it. Whether or not they were coming after Robert Picton, they didn't get very far. The pressure died down, the parties stopped, and people forgot. Out of sight, out of mind, right? Well, for some people, the events weren't over. The pigs were still hungry. I'm not sure when he got the idea. Robert Picton seemed to be one of the less talked about evil geniuses. Nobody can say for sure whether his elaborate parties were disguised for the horrible events or whether the events came after the parties were already happening. The body count is so high and so uncertain we may never know the truth, not all of it. We do know some things. The most reliable source in this case was the worker, Bill, who I mentioned earlier. He was actually the one who realized in 2002 that lots of women were coming to the farm and very few were ever leaving. I'd guess he also noticed how well fed the pigs were and how they never seemed to have enough slops given to them. Yet, the food came from somewhere, somebody. When it comes to the details of the actual murder, one testimony from 2007 sheds the most light on this gruesome subject. According to the witness, Robert Picton was a friend of his, and so Picton invited him over to the farm one evening. Late that night, he described to this man how he would kill the woman, usually with a wire or something else to strangle them. Then he would treat them like an animal he had hunted, preparing it to be eaten. This included skinning them alive and draining them of blood. Once the pigs had eaten their share, he'd take the rest of the body and put it into barrels destined for a processing plant in Vancouver, which made him even more money. This story, told in court, was from 1999. Three years before Picton was arrested, and about one year after they shut down his parties. It didn't matter, though. Robert Picton was already a master at it. He'd done it so many times, you see. Whatever the police said, however many counts he was charged with, Robert Picton had a process, and he constantly got away with it. I think it's safe to say that this didn't begin in 1997, with that single attempted murder. That may have been his tenth one, his twentieth one. Prostitutes for Robert Picton were the perfect victim. At the end of the day, they went unnoticed. Their deaths, however mysterious, never found closure. Some of them did. After all, Robert Picton was admitted to 49 counts of murder while he was in prison saying he wanted a number 50 just to make it even. Long before that, when the court officially charged him with 27 murders, he was already the serial killer with the most crimes in Canadian history. 
This, obviously, had quite the effect on people. It's a terrifying thought to know you lived at the same time and near the same place as one of the most terrible serial killers in history. For those in the same town, and even the same country, it was undoubtedly a nightmare. Before everything happened, Robert Picton was a normal guy, for the most part. Sure, there were times he'd say creepy things. Things like, if you ever need to dispose of a body, and then point to his meat grinder. But we've all made crude jokes. Maybe that was just his personality, influenced by his profession. Most of us are, in some way, weird. Another example of just how afraid people were is the diary entry of one woman in 1995. This is before those parties, before the trials, and before even the attempted murder charge. And yet, she was still afraid. People were still going missing. Am I next? She wrote down. Is he watching me now? Stalking me like a predator and its prey. Waiting. Waiting for some perfect spot, time, or my stupid mistake. How does one choose a victim? Three years later, she was chosen. Much property was found on Picton's farms after these events. Purses, jewelry, brushes, and other things that women would carry around with them. The bodies weren't found, not entirely. There were pieces buried in the fields by his home, nicknamed the Killing Fields by some. Others were disposed of in the way we mentioned before, to pigs or factories. It gets worse, though. Doesn't it always? Think of it like this. Robert and his brother didn't just ship out meat. They also sold it right there in town, and in many of the surrounding cities. Multiple witnesses reported some pretty nasty stuff about the Picton brothers, and one of the worst has to do with that meat. Sometimes, pig meat wasn't the only thing sold for human consumption. And for over 20 years, while all of this was going on, nobody had a clue what they were really eating. This is the third and final episode in my series of serial killers. The whole idea, as I've mentioned before, was brought to me by Ansley, a friend of mine on Facebook, although I chose the specific cases myself. Just goes to show you how much you can influence this show if you get in contact with me, and how I promise I will respond. Besides that, Fear was written and produced by me, David Coomer. The music was found online from a free music site called Incompetech. Perfect song for the podcast, as always, and I am no professional on that. If you're wondering where I got all this information from, you can head to davidcoomer.com where you'll find more information about the podcast, including where you can find my research and how you can help support it, even gaining access to special episodes. If you haven't heard, I also write books, which are available on Amazon if you feel the need to read something and hold it. They're inexpensive, but very thrilling, so enjoy. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review on iTunes or any other podcast site that you may have found it. It helps me, it helps all the other listeners, and it really helps me to try and grow this podcast. 
If you have any questions, don't hesitate to email me, davidcoomer7 at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook. Also, you can find tons of stuff on my website, so go check it out. And until next time, make sure you keep your lights on, and be careful if you're eating pig meat.